Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. This is The Hot Corner with Coach Sal, episode 179. Got a lot of hot topics to cover today, uh, eclectic group of topics, but we'll connect them like we always do through a single thread. Um, before I talk to our guests, I would just welcome Sal. Sal, I know you're busy. You got eager young minds coming in to, to try to get better with their performance. And I know your slate is filled every day. Thanks for taking time with us today. Always a pleasure. It's just a, it's an important part of my week. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's doing wonders for our audience. Uh, we've got 17,400 plus subscribers to date. I'm sure it's going to blow up after the weekend because uh, we have a heavy backload on the week with our podcast. But to our audience, keep download, listen, like, and subscribe. Make sure you rate and review so we can battle the analytics of podcasting like they do in Major League Baseball. We can keep providing you great content like we do here with the Cot Corner, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can follow Coach Sal also on his Instagram account. Great content there. Make sure you're supporting him there. I get back to one audience member a day live on Facebook, and then I hit everybody else up privately. Uh, lots of great questions today. I hit on perspective today as it pertains to an obstacle getting in the way of your goals. So uh, make sure you read on that. 72 countries now, Sal, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices. We got the ear of people just trying to build a better baseball IQ. And as a, a little bit of a, not a caution, but a reminder to our audience, as we get started with our show, just like all our shows, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth. As this program, like all our shows, we have no time for the comfortable lies that are out there. So we're going to hit you head on today like we always do. So with that, welcome back, Sal. And where do you want to start? What do you want to hit, hit off first? You want to go Dissolving Illusions, the book? Uh, let's talk about that. Yes, there's a great book I'm listening to called Dissolving Illusions. <clears throat> it goes into the history of the vaccination push, both in this country and in Europe, and discusses things that if you took out the references to the years that these things occurred, you would think it was happening now when um, several of these incidents and or incidents, whichever is the proper, of both vaccination problems, and by vaccination problems, I mean vaccinations that are supposed to help people wind up killing and hurting people, and vaccine mandates and people rebelling against these mandates, you would think it was something from the last five, three, five years, whatever, um, when in reality, it's been going on for almost 200 years, which is frightening and shocking. And it reminds me to remind you how we're, we've been gaslit nonstop our whole lives. Everyone alive today, we've been gaslit with so many things we have held to be the truth that I'm losing track of the list. Yeah. And then when we read that stuff, you know, when someone looks back on these past three to five years, they'll they'll term it as draconian, just like we do. We look at some of the things we've read in the past, but it's a funny way how the past uh, tends to creep up into the present and into the future. So it's important to pay attention to that. Who's the author of that that book? Uh, it's um, it's it's two it's two authors. One is a physician. And her name is oh God, it just 
flopped right out of my mind. Hang on one second. I'm going to pull it up so I don't miss Matt. I don't mangle because her co-author is a uh, has a, a complicated name here. The um, Suzanne Humphreys and Roman Bistrianic. So uh, hum- uh, Suzanne Humphreys is a physician and uh, Roman Bistrianic is her co-author. And they just go into the history of how vaccines came on this on the scene from literally arm they call them arm to arm uh, vaccines because literally they would take the arm of one person that had an open sore say from smallpox and atta- uh, rub it on the arm of another person that had been scratched to allow this smallpox to enter their bloodstream in an attempt to inoculate them. Uh-huh. To to the early vaccines, to problems with um, contamination of early vaccines, to the death numbers from vaccines versus the non-vaccinated or unvaccinated, it, it's amazing how it parallels what we're going through today. Dave, there I'm in New Jersey here. There were stories uh, in in two cities, probably less than a half hour from me back in the day, that. Um, we're putting people in jail for not vaccinating their kids. A uh, story of a, a local, I, be, I believe it was Patterson, that the health official in Patterson refused to have his daughter vaccinated in violation of an edict that came down from the city government and how he was put in jail and how they were people were fined and kids weren't allowed to go to school. So it's, it's an amazing book uh, and it's an amazing story that I recommend everybody grab a hold of. Wow. Yeah. No, I, you talked to me a little bit about it prior to the show. Cause you know, I homeschool our kids and what, and what were the ailments they were trying to deal with in there in the book? Was it smallpox? Well, smallpox is a big one. There were, there were a lot of other um, infections, diseases, infectious diseases they were dealing with, but the amazing, the amazing thing about this story is that they really were going blind and didn't know a lot about what they were doing. Nothing was um, sanitary. These are back in, you know, in the 1800s, late 18, mid to late 1800s, there were no sanitary conditions. There was no refrigeration. Uh, they were using these, I believe the term proper term is cell lines of certain animals to de- develop these vaccines that in some cases were contaminated in some cases did not even have the proper strain of what it was they were supposed to be vaccinating against. And up until not too long ago, vaccines were being made with these same cell lines. The ancestors of these cell lines from back in the in the 1900s were being still being used into this century. So it, it's a it's a crazy amazing story that you wouldn't believe that we've been through this, you know, our ancestors were had been through this 150 plus years ago. Yeah, no, it's uh, people got to pay attention to the past. Has a funny way of showing up in the present. So I've got that book on my slate. You give me an extra book every week to do, and just so you know, I do follow up. I uh, well, that's good. All of them. You're my you're my resource right now. With um, so with any more on that, or is that? I mean, that's an audience. I recommend following that up. Every book Sal gives tends to be uh, a good read or or a good listen, depending on how you do it. Yeah, I think it, there's just so much info, and I'm working through it myself. But here's here's the premise, Dave, and it's the similar premise that RFK Jr. had in his book about Fauci and Gates, that we've been, again, here's our term of the year, gaslit 
into thinking that vaccines were these panaceas when in fact it was the change in the sanitary conditions that made the big difference and the vaccines were take were coming in on the uh, coattails of what these better living conditions did everything from in-house plumbing you know back in the 1800s early 1900s Dave human waste was poured out and it would run down the street in ditches and run into basically what was the water supply for the community and it was animal and human waste so you know one of the um one of the quotes from one of the doctors in this book is something basic it's not this is not verbatim but it's along the lines of well once you stop using sewer water as your drinking water it's amazing how everyone's health will improve so we've been told again that it's these vaccines that were the basis for this massive improve improvement in our health and longevity when in fact it was the better sanitary conditions the cleaner food and water fresh air and hygiene which was what were the phrases used back in the day in these early efforts to get people to clean themselves up basically literally literally both in and out cleaning up our society eliminating garbage being thrown in the streets moving certain businesses away from population centers and just how this move towards hygiene was really the main mover in getting our lifestyle more healthy and you know the 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 everything else followed from there you know this town in Leicester England it was called Leicester England staged a riot against the government's attempt to forcibly vaccinate the population it was a it was a manufacturing hub and they had a riot protest 8000 I'm sorry 80,000 plus people that were against these mandates and it was in the face of vaccines being given in other cities and people knowing that people were dying from these vaccines so it again mirroring the things we've seen recently and it's it's you would think it's made up but literally politicians of the day after this town this city of Leicester turned away from vaccines you got the same type of quotes that we heard from Biden about you're you unvaccinated or looking forward to that winter of illness and death, sickness and death. People back then were saying, just wait until Lester, until the children of Lester get hit with with the smallpox and they'll wish they had gotten the vaccine. Well, eight years later, they still did not have any of the pandemics, epidemics that a lot of these other neighboring areas had. And their vaccination rate was around, was under 10%. And these other areas had vaccination rates around 90%. And yet they did not suffer these epidemics. It sounds a lot like the Florida example, where the governor of Florida was excoriated for allowing kids to go back to school and not forcing the mandates on people. And we were told how that was going to be a death sentence and uh, never quite manifested same thing happened 150 plus years ago uh, and we, we heard that from bill gates as well that wait if you thought this was bad wait wait for the next one well bill and you know i'm glad you brought him up bill gates is one of the biggest disgraces that we have on the planet right now he's fortunate he made his money if you look at him he's physically a disgrace so anyone who looks like him should not be put in the position 
of being a, a public health advocate. He is behind this fake meat mo uh, movement, which is going to be the death of us all. It will put farmers out of business. It will ruin the environment. It will take us one step closer to this dystopian future that we see in science fiction that a lot of people think will never happen. But with with buffoons like Gates pulling strings, I wouldn't want to be around in 50 years if he's allowed to keep doing what he's been doing. I agree with you. I, I think uh, he's, you know, he was well thought of way back when he was all about computers. He probably should have just stuck to that instead of trying to come out of his comfort zone and be an expert on everything. That's what happens with ego. He thinks he knows everything about everything. And Well, it's frightening. Again, if you read the JFK, I'm sorry, the RFK Jr. book, which I highly recommend also, and they go into the Gates Foundation and the horrendous thing they've done, horrendous things they've done in the third world with vaccinations. I think we talked about it on one of the shows, but the fact that that book has gone unchallenged shows you that that's all true. And uh, he's a scary guy, and it goes back to our theme, Dave, of we have to start taking care of ourselves and taking more interest in what we put in our bodies and what we do and who we allow to tell us what to do. Yeah, and just we, we tell people on this show, even though we're passionate about what we say and what, just do your own homework out there. Be smart enough not to, to, to be smart enough to be a first principle person. We all have input in our world, but sift through it, decide what what's right and wrong and, and do your own research. So yeah, I think a lot's coming out. I, I like that book though. I've got it on my list. I like how you described it prior to the show and then now. So put that on my list of books to get. That'll be my father's day gift right there. All right. right. For me. So, okay. We, uh, well, we get, we can't seem to get away from this topic ever, even if we were to close off our internet. But, uh, recently there was what a, a transgender runner was it Ing the Inga Thompson. Uh, disqualified from USA running and there's a, an issue with her. There was also a cycling thing. Was that related? There was a cycling thing where there was a new, new, yeah, new there was a woman, a trans woman cyclist ran away from the field. And there's been debate now about allowing that to continue. They said that it was in keeping with the guidelines of the cycling organization. However, women cyclists realize that their positions are going to be eradicated if this keeps going up, keeps going on. And women are starting to fight back. There was a clip I saw on social media, again, with Riley Gaines and another female athlete in a forum setting where they were being shouted down when they were trying to point out the very real differences between male and female. And these trans women, I guess, were belittling her and telling her that it's because of her lack of commitment and other mental components to competition that was keeping her from being successful of, of, against these trans women. You know, Dave, it sounds harsh, but it was an advertisement for mental illness when you watch this. Yeah. And it's... It's unfortunate, and it's seeming like some of these women that are now starting to fight back are all getting this treatment. I think they have to keep up the pressure so that they could get everybody behind them, and they'll take the flack, but I think it's necessary. Yeah, and I, I think your points are valid with it being a mental health ad. You, you know, as, as men, 
we're, we're, we have testosterone obviously born with it. We have certain, there's certain aggressions that come out because of it. And I'm not a doctor, you know, obviously there's no doctor tag on the, the backside of my name, but when I, I wonder when they're transitioning, um, to, from female to male and they're being injected with this testosterone, it is a jolt to their body, I would think, and their mind that they have never experienced before. And, you know, I'm not saying people can't handle that jolt, but we know what we go through as men when we have aggression and it's part of what we deal with day to day with testosterone and, and women have aggression too. But when you're jacked up with, te- uh, I guess, an overload of a chemical for, I guess that's what it is, right? A chemical that yeah. you're used to having as a part of your world, I would have to gather that it's, it's, there's gotta be a management uh, there's got to be a way that they've, they've got to go through some learning curve in managing that because we're seeing some ridiculously aggressive acts by, um, you know, we, we've had some violence out there with it. And I, you know, I'm not, don't want to make it a, you know, split the world up there with it. But I, I think that's an, an obvious thing that I have not heard people talk about yet that extra jolt of chemical that nobody's preparing anybody for. And we're, we're seeing, I think, seeing it manifest in some of these aggressive behaviors towards the women that are out there just voicing their opinion. And they're ironically being, being belittled about supposedly belittling another classification. And and I think people, our audience knows my opinion on, I, I am so concerned about the expression of hatred and hostility toward women in regard, like Riley Gaines. Um, They're trying to erase an existence of an entire category as a whole and minimize them to just being, like it's a construct of their imagination. Like she just has to work harder to, you know, or be better mentally. It's, it's to me, it, this is, this is something just as crazy as the draconian um, vaccination stuff you just talked about. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, we keep, I keep using this word, the gaslighting. We're being told these things that are clearly not true. We're being told that a, a male with male genitalia who may or may not be getting some hormone block tr- hormone block treatment is still not stronger than a woman or is, is somehow is a woman. It, it's just beyond even parity at this point. We're being told things that are flat out comical, but it's deadly serious. And I don't have a horse in the race, Dave. I don't have a daughter. I'm not coaching women. I have over the years, but I don't have any other involvement in this. And it still makes me upset for people who have women and for the women who I know are out there working hard to be the best and are going to have their rewards and their opportunities taken from them by men. Uh, yeah, and and with, with the full approval of the current administration whether it be the White House or the NCAA or whatever other organization is going to get behind this because for some reason they're afraid to fight this fraction of a percent of the population, which in reality it is. It's not 1% of the population. It's probably not even a half of 1% of the population. We're talking about an infinitesimal percentage of the population here. And in this, uh, we talked about it on another show. In the same month, we were celebrating Title IX. We were being 
bombarded with these stories of trans athletes taking the podium and defeating women. It's just, again, it's, it's ludicrous. Well, here, here's a thread. You hit the, you hit the, this on the vaccination story we talked about in the beginning of the show. And you just, you just said it here. What's declared as true is based on whatever those in power say it is. And that's, that's frightening. And the, the thing that nobody's been able to answer on that particular side is the really simple question. What is a woman? Right. I mean, that's, uh, I've heard some of the silliest responses I've ever heard in my life. And, um, I, I will not repeat it on the air, but I mean, if anybody watches kindergarten cop, there's a little scene with Arnold Schwarzenegger and a little yeah. boy in kindergarten class. He, he lays it right out there, um, for it. I won't say it on the show cause we get a, a young, uh, young audience, but anyway, go, yeah. go find the clip Yeah, yeah. Don't to go find the clip. If they want to see it, you'll get a giggle out of it. Now what happened with the, the cyclist? I, I read the story, but you, that's how we kind of got into this. Here. Well, I, again, I see the blurb and I read the, the synopsis or the caption and I know it's going to be the same old and I skim it. It's just a, a male who decided to compete as a woman and is pretending to be a woman and competes against these women cyclists and goes out and blows their doors off. And people are upset. And it's the same thing. It's all it's the stereotypical now back and forth. And somehow, again, somehow the new logic is that a trans woman is the same thing as a woman. So that, I'm going to leave it at that because once, uh, until we get that cleared up, it's just circuitous arguing. Yeah. And then Riley Gaines was calling on uh, other famous female athletes to step up. Was that? Yeah, that's, she's come out and said there was going to be a couple per week that she was going to reach out to. I think I saw her say it was going to be Serena Williams. I thought I saw that in the article. Oh, wow. We'll see. I mean, what what do they think? Of really, what do they think about this? It, it's, it's almost like they're going to force them not to be able to hide. Yeah, you, you, have, to, you have to approach, as we, we've seen with this crazy last few years, you have to approach – them on the same level and of the same format that they are, you know, shouting at the moon as well. So I'm glad she's doing that. I hope she stands up. I know I put an article on Facebook last week that, that, uh, put, you know, I got asked the question a zillion times. I held off answering it because I, I like to see, I like to examine it before I start. I don't want to, I'm not concerned about being the first one out there, but, um, I finally put my thoughts out there, shared it on the show a couple times. So, um, yeah, I hope she keeps pushing, and pushing strong because Serena Williams dealt with this as a tennis player too. Personally, she got beat by a transitioning, you know, male to female. And the person, I can't remember what their actual ranking was, but it was like 140th or 150th in the world as a male. And they came over and just beat, beat the heck out of her, um, handily. And that's the best, arguably the best female tennis player of all time. Yeah. And we'll, we'll like, again, it's going to be an interesting progression we'll see what happens and we'll see who comes to her i don't think it's defense but who who comes to her aid yeah so sage, sage steel's been out there in the media but nobody else really on the female side i don't think um but i see more and more more and more women in media not necessarily in sports starting to uh, speak up a little bit and you know it's it's again like you said it's i 
am, uh, it's, it, I, I have a, I guess I have dogs in the fight in that I have two daughters and I have a wife that played division one college basketball, but in regards to, um, this being my fight, this is, uh, I think the, like women athletes like Riley Gaines are the ones that have got to win this fight. And, um, she's not backing down. I mean, she got hit personally by this and I'm glad she's, she's battling and she seems like she's the type of individual that they challenge her mental toughness. She's been taking tons of hits, um, physical violence threats. I mean, p- people are not kind to her and, uh, good for her. Stand up and keep fighting. Well, and like we said last week, I think there's always the unseen, unthought of circumstance that brings these kinds of stories to a head and we'll see what comes up. There's going to be something, something happens to, to even force it more into the spotlight and causes people to reevaluate. So I'm going to be curious to see what that event will, will be, but there's going to be something like that. Mark my words. Yeah. Now um, you and I kind of transition a little bit. You and I are late night baseball watchers where there's often that the tech stream going well into the wee hours of the the morning from West Coast games, but we're both New York, New Jersey, um, like the Mets Yankees to follow that. So um, the speeding up of the game, like a lot of people like it. Some pitchers are complaining now because of they say it's causing their injuries. The vendors don't like it because it shortens the game and they, you know, they're losing money, revenue. People forget about the vendors out there. They're having to sell more quickly. Uh, than before and but from a pure sports watching fan you and I are kind of flopping down at the same time at the long part of the day expecting to see the last three innings of a Yankee game and, and, and no more what, what are you in how is this speeding up of the game affecting you as a well, fan like I said a lot of the times because of work or just life I don't have a chance to sit down and catch the beginning of a game and I used to look forward to coming home and it'd be around nine-ish and you'd put on the Yankee broadcast and it may be only the fifth or sixth inning, and now they're wind, they're starting to wind down. You know, nine, those these games. I think I saw the average time is up is it two thirty six? Did I see something, or is it even less than an hour, two and a half hours? Yeah. So, true. so we're we're missing a lot of opportunities to watch. I am. I saw some number. It's millions of dollars in revenue just in beer sales. Yeah. So yep. I think it's it's it that's I think ultimately though that's a good thing. Games were ridiculously long, boring. I think the the mount right the mound trip rule and the throwing over to first that has to be helping too. So it, it's going to be all for the good. We talked about it on the show. My position and and you guys all agree. Not that that it was my position, but I thought that we're going to get injuries and if pitchers are actually blaming this the pitch cop clock for injuries, then there you go. And speaking of injuries, your favorite New York, former New York Met is back on the IL. Right? Yep. Jacob DeGrom. Jacob right. DeGrom. He, he's, he's got the old dreaded forearm tightness or forearm inflammation. I think he had forearm tightness earlier in the season. And now this is being attributed to forearm inflammation. He's got to lead the league in MRIs, don't you think? Oh, easily, yeah. Him, uh, you know, him and his former counterpart Noah Syndergaard. I mean, uh, the the two of those guys had never been healthy. The uh, Grom, especially, what what a uh, what a talent. But we we've had people on the show uh, most recently, Jim Colonel, who I've got to hook you up with. You guys are two peas in a pod. He has dived 
underneath pitching injuries like no other. We have another guy who's been on the show twice, Justin Orenduff. And uh, these guys have devoted their lives to making sure that uh, young kids, college kids, pro guys um, don't injure themselves like they did through improper training and proper mechanics. And they both have great methods. And they're, <laughs> I mean, the holy grail to me is predicting injury. And they seem to have it down pat. They're able to pick it out before the forearm tightness and the latch. It's all based on mechanics and throwing platform. And our favorite thing, you know, this uh, when you're chasing velocity, you you chronicled it last show, comparing it to a, I think a certain kind of lift. When you're being forced to pitch more quickly, and your method of throwing doesn't change, you're trying to max out every time. Good chance you're going to get hurt, like we're seeing. Yeah, something's got to give. You're you're built and trained a certain way, and overnight, literally, not literally, but in a in, in an athlete's sense, overnight you're being forced to change everything about how you compete, how you participate. That's a recipe for injury. Now, with the shortening of the games, have you been able to catch any later games? I really have. This is the least I've watched baseball since. I'm going to say I, st- I started back again about four or five years ago. Uh, this is probably the least I've watched early on all season, or, or, or in five years, probably. Yeah. I just, like I said, I haven't had time. I'm a big lacrosse fan, and the, um, this is the end of the year now. We're, we're into our May Madness, if you want to call it that, because the tournament started last night with the play-in game, and um, this, the tournament starts this weekend. So I'm trying to catch as much of that as possible. I always get into baseball a little more, even when I was watching it a little more. I'll watch a little more once we get through Memorial Day weekend and into like June, July, August, when things kind of organize the way they might stay for the summer summer for the most part. So, But uh, New York with the high payrolls, neither team is doing well right now. So it's, I'm sure, disappointing for New York fans. Without question. Um, now, there's. I heard this on, and you may know, you'll know more about it than I do, probably. Have you heard about the Traveling Lacrosse League? And I, and I don't know what the name is. It's, I guess, there's six teams. They're going from city to city, anywhere from Miami Beach to, to uh, Frankfurt, Germany, to, to, to play lacrosse. And there's six, six teams right now. Um, and, I, and I have to remember the gentleman's name is running the league, but it sounds like it's taken off. I, I had heard Bill Belichick is an investor in the league. Well, no, it's the the PLL. PLL, okay. Yeah, that's the that's the pro lacrosse league. I think for for years there was, uh, I believe it was the MLL. I believe it was Major League Lacrosse, and they had you know geographically based teams, and it didn't work out. Even in areas like Long Island and Maryland, which and upstate New York, which are hotbeds, it wasn't enough to conduct a full season where you had six or eight home games. So what the, the genius of the PLL has been that they've created their eight teams, but they're not lo- locked into any cities. And what the, what the league does is they go from city to city over the course of the summer and play all the games in that particular city. So they start up in Albany. Uh, they if you go onto their website, you'll see the different cities they visit. They're all across the country, from the East Coast to the Midwest. To they, I believe they're back in Seattle this year. I think they were also going to be in Salt Lake City. 
so they they cover the they cover the United States, and it's a, it's a really great idea. It's been doing very well. Uh, it's on ESPN on their streaming platforms. This year, they've added more games to their regular network of ESPN, ESPNU, ESPN two, whatever they are, the Ocho. If you watched Dodgeball, you remember ESPN Ocho. Um, so it's it's become popular, and they've really done a great job of listening to the fan base, reacting and adjusting to the fan base. The field it's a it's it's an interesting concept. The field is ten yards shorter, which makes for a faster game. The transitions are great for anyone not really familiar. Lacrosse will have a uh, substitution pattern that's on the run. So it's very similar to hockey. Guys run on and off. Sometimes teams slow down to do that. With the PLL, with the field being 10 yards slower, you can really do things much more in a real traditional, true fast break sense. It it opens it up to the real athleticism of these players. The athleticism in the game, Dave, has exploded over the last 10 or I'm going to say 20 years because what's happened is there really hasn't been that many additional teams added at the D1 level, but there have been exponential, there has been exponential growth at the high school level. So, you know, when my boys started playing, my older boys started playing, when I started getting into it even before my older boys started playing 20 years ago, it was rare you would see teams from west of the Mississippi. You know, there might have been a good team from Colorado. You might once in a while see, you know, hear about a team, a club team from California or the Northwest. But by and large, everything was, you know, it ended in the Midwest. You were Ohio and and now you're getting players from all across the country. So it's really a great game. They're stealing players from baseball. I mean, the lacrosse kids are going to play lacrosse now. A lot, a lot in the Northeast, as you mentioned, it's popular Northeast, Mid-Atlantic area and kids are jumping from baseball to lacrosse and you know you mentioned the you just kind of alluded to the business model of this lacrosse push and it's the total opposite what baseball is doing lacrosse is growing their entry point you know instead of focusing on adding to college they're growing at the grassroots level they're growing at the the uh the other levels around it like this pro league where baseball shrinking that stuff and when you want to grow a business the last thing you want to do is shrink your entry point Without question. Yeah, and it's they've done things to make the game attractive. And 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 they've done it without having to cheapen the competitive aspect. We've we talked on the old show a lot about the rule changes in baseball were done out of a position of weakness, out of players not being as good as certain things, so they had to legislate certain other things to make the game more competitive we're talking now in the lacrosse space the game is super competitive already and with this flood of athletes coming in and the ability see here's one of the things i had a discussion with a client of mine whose son plays baseball if your kid's a catcher and your team has a good catcher you're kind of in a tough spot you're either going to have to find another position or you're going to sit and there's no in-and-out substitution. Now, I know in some levels of baseball they've changed certain substitution rules. But at the end of the day, once you're out of the game in baseball, once you're out of the batting order, you're, you're out of the game. And you're only getting so many chances where 
a game of lacrosse allows you to find spots for kids, whether it's offense, defense. And here's the other thing what's happening is the offensive players are becoming so skilled and we now have so many more athletes coming into the sport. The defensive players are going to get better and it's going to raise the overall level. So it's really an interesting time as we get this massive influx of athletes. Yeah. No, I, you know, the baseball, the baseball rules are, you know, we're, we were all kind of sickened by that from just a competitive standpoint that the fact that they had to legislate a hitter to get like the shift, for instance, hitters just couldn't force the defenses out of it. Pitchers had to be forced to work faster. And those are things that kind of make, you know, I guess a competitive person just kind of sigh and be like, you know, you wish, you wish the players could, could play their way through this stuff and let, let them play defense however they want. Um, you know, but it is what it is here, but yeah, lacrosse is interesting. I, I heard that on the radio coming home the other night from practice. I thought about you and I was like, well, you must know about this stuff. And it's, uh, sounds exciting. It's the old barnstorming style. Well, and, and really the, the NLL, which is the national lacrosse league, which is indoor box lacrosse, which is played basically in a hockey rink with turf and smaller goals and bigger goalie padding is amazingly popular in Canada and some places here, Rochester, Buffalo, there's a team in Philly that they don't draw very well. There's a team in Long Island doesn't draw well, but there's a team in Southern California. There's a team in Vegas. There's teams all across the country in Georgia that they've really created this great environment. There's, there's these teams in Halifax and Calgary that fill hockey arenas. I have one of my clients is both plays both field and and box. They're in the middle of the box playoffs, but they earlier in the year he played at the Cal at the Saddle Dome in Calgary. It was a full house, I believe. It's fifteen thousand fans, so you don't get that with field lacrosse. It's a completely different environment. You know, field lacrosse. You're lucky for a, if you watch the college playoffs, you'll get good crowds now. But um, you know, this this is becoming an interesting little growth experience for lacrosse here and it's not just the field yeah i'm wondering how baseball can learn from some of this stuff because even though it's an established game long history tradition you know it's got to be some things that they can learn and i know lacrosse is lean right now so they can make some some different moves but interesting uh i'm interested to see it i'm wondering if like independently baseball can't model that lacrosse um model and bounce from city to city so you talked about needing to speed up baseball. Well, lacrosse was a time-based game, but there was no shot clock, though. So there were some rules about getting the ball over the midline into what's called the across the restraining line into the box, which is the offensive zone on the offensive side of the field for your team. But there was also elements of killing the clock and stalling. They put a shot clock in college lacrosse of 80 seconds, which has probably been the best thing, best rule change in any sport that I've seen, because you're, you, you have a game that you want to be fast and loose and wide open. So now you're forcing teams to do that uh, against their better judgment. I think what's happened in baseball, they get so darn analytical and there's really no time constraint. So they can play as long as they want, as long as they get their matchups and do things the right way. At some point, it makes it for a worse experience for the fans. So, 
that's one of the things that they did change, but the, the shot clock has been a huge boon, and I hope we see that in high school too. Yeah. Well, with a lot, a lot of good information for our audience today to chew on, we we covered a wide array of topics. How, how, how do you want to, what kind of parting shots you want to give our audience today? Oh, maybe I, I lost Sal here, but um, for our audience here, I mean, tremendous uh, information given by Coach Sal today. Uh, take in the book he mentioned early on. Uh, obviously, we talked a little bit about uh, the pitch clock and the different rule changes, how it affected not just the fans, but the vendors and pitching injuries. And we, we went a little uh, off the baseball and into the world of sports today. And uh, great information, Sal. Uh, for our audience today, uh, you know, 17,400 subscribers. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we can keep providing you great content throughout the, the weeks, if you do so. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, those are our streaming apparatuses. Hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Call, follow Coach Sal on his Instagram page. Lots of good workouts on there. Lots of good knowledge. 72 countries now, grassroots all the way to Major League Baseball front offices. Just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. We've got the ear of the people that can help continue to grow this game and, and keep this game pure and fresh. And just a reminder to our audience, when we, we come on, just prepare to embrace some of the uncomfortable truths with baseball, sports, life, because um, this program, uh, the Hot Corner with Coach Sal, and our other programs on the network, we really have no time for the comfortable lies that are being told out there. So we'll hit it head on every time, uh, like it or not. But this is episode, for us right now, we're looking at episode 179 here as a network, Real Voice of the Game. And this is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. And Coach Sal... Had to sign off quick, but uh, we want to just thank our audience on his behalf. A tremendous uh, showing he has, tremendous following, and let's keep supporting him so we can keep, again, bringing this great content to you. Sal, when you're out there, we'll see you next week. We look forward to your stuff every week. And for episode 179, we are out of here. Some put on a suit, but he ran the 